0: Life lessons from a 98-and-a-half-year-old facing World War II and the Battle of the Bulge, and a heroic baptism with Mr. Oliver Tipido on Spirit and Spire starting right now.
1: Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit and Spire. And now, here is your host,
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Spirit Inspire. Uh, we believe this is a very special and an inspirational episode. And uh, to join with me in a special return guest appearance is our co-host, former co-host, Brian Kane. Hello, everyone. Good to be back. Yeah, he's here. And uh, we have a very special guest, a good long-term friend of mine, uh, Mr. Oliver Tipodeau. tip for short, and uh, and as we had talked before the episode, you got tip from how how did you get the nickname Tip?
2: Well, my dad was known as Tip before me. That's right. And uh, I was for a while. I was called Little Tip. <laughs> so
1: now and you're. And does that that comes from your last name of Thibodeau? You think? Right. Yeah. Okay. It's awesome. It's oh, very good.
0: And you grew up in uh, Louisiana. Is that no, right? No, or... I was
2: born in Macomb, Mississippi.
0: Macomb, Mississippi. That's right. That's right. Because we, uh, we, when I was a kid, I got to know you, but I've never gotten to know you through this, this, this story. I got to know you at the Saint Elizabeth Senior Center, uh, and maybe a little bit before that. When my grandma was actually you know, helping and serving, she was teaching memoirs, classes, they did chair volleyball, and I played a lot of ping pong and Wii bowling with you in those days. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how many 300 games have you bowled now in wee bowling?
2: 50.
1: Fifth, wait, five-zero? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh awesome. my goodness. So uh, do you have uh, memories of, of Mississippi? What, what year were you born? first
2: off.
1: 1924. 1924. Okay. So well, you
2: are 98? 90, 98, 98. 98 years old. Happy well, birthday. Well, I was 98
1: on <laughs> July the 25th. Hey, that's my son's birthday. Look at that. <laughs>
2: How about that?
1: <laughs> that's pretty cool. The feast and, of St. Uh, James the Greater. Wow.
2: And then, uh i got a blank.
1: So I well I asked if you have memories from Mississippi. What are some memories from your really, really early childhood?
2: Uh, I remember playing on a hill that was there, but that was when I was three years old. So I moved to Paducah, Kentucky at that age, and actually it was at Alono, Kentucky, which was about 10 miles outside of the city of Paducah.
1: Okay. Oh, wow. So... Do you remember why your family moved?
2: Yes, my dad worked for the railroad, and he got transferred to the uh, railroad shops. I see railroad shops in Paducah. Okay. So that I was...
1: So what was Paducah like as you grew up? In the nineteen twenty, so if you were born nineteen twenty four, that means nineteen twenty seven, right before the 24. Great
0: Depression. You were yeah. born in nineteen twenty four, but you moved to Paducah when in you were
2: 1927, three. Yes,
0: so this was like two years before the Great Depression hit.
2: Right.
1: So those are some of your earliest memories uh, are of sort of the Great Depression, and
2: you know, well, I didn't know much about about the depression other than the fact that I lived through it. And that I mean, that was about, about all because my parents were the ones that did the suffering, you know, a wooden, uh, finding the ways of putting bread on the table and keeping us warm and comfortable and everything else. We used to go, uh, my mother used to go and make a trip down to Jackson, Mississippi, where we had relatives, and they raised sugarcane. Mm-hmm. And we would, she'd bring back a suitcase full of sugarcane, and uh, we would sit by the fire, and uh, our parents would uh, cut the, stalk part on the outside, and then we'd chew the inside <laughs> and get the... the Get the uh, good
0: stuff, right? So that was right. a treat.
2: Oh yeah, that was a real <laughs> treat. Uh, we had... Uh,
0: and that was during cold, the Depression.
2: Uh, we had uh, coal-burning stoves, but we didn't put them up until the fall hit. Okay. After the fall, then we would put the stove up and we'd warm around the stove but before that time we had a hearth that uh, had a fireplace in it and we would sit around and and the, the gas that came out of the coal that we used in the in the fire would cause little sparks like the Burn, you know how they do. Yeah. So anyway, that was a real treat to sit around, chew on a sugar cane. You know, but that was just one of the things that I recall.
1: Did your did your dad uh, keep his job, sort of throughout the Depression, or did, yes. do you remember if he lost his job at all, or?
2: No, he got promoted to uh foreman, oh wow, and because of the lack of education, he had to eventually give it up because my mom would figure out his payrolls for the mm. for the people that worked under him Wow, wow, and he was un- incapable of doing that, but she did that, and then of course, as He would bring home the cards, the time cards that the people had earned, and she would figure out what (laughs) payment they would make. So,
1: so he he was was he more uh, kind of a people person? He was was a machinist. Okay.
2: He was a machinist, and he could do anything for cars in those days. He never charged anybody for Mm -hmm. working on the cars. He enjoyed working on them. Kind of perplexed my mother several times (laughs) when (coughs) we had plans or she had plans or they had plans to go somewhere and over here comes somebody with a car that needs to be worked on (laughs) and he would give them priorities over what we were planning. So, Oh, man.
0: Well, he could have didn't... opened up his own shop, it sounds like.
2: Well, he could have, but... Hmm. How uh, many
1: uh, siblings do you have, Tip?
2: I have uh, two sisters.
1: What are their names?
2: Uh, Norita and Edna. Edna was the oldest and Norita was the younger. And then I followed... And, of course, I was spoiled because I was the only boy in the family. (laughs) I remember that the things that I used to imagine, of course, I was a cowboy and I was a farmer and all these other things that children normally Take up that I never did get. They didn't have a garbage pickup then, so I didn't want to be a garbage man. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, well, and and we were kind of saying before the show started how um, you know a lot of, a lot of kids today uh, have so much, and they don't even necessarily realize how much they had. But you right. you had to depend on your imagination.
2: Well, nowadays they they have, everybody has a cell phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically. And some of them get their, get into trouble by using the cell phones and have some very complicated and life-altering experiences because of it. Yes. And this is something that uh, I didn't have to go through that phase of life because people were more or less good people. They had neighbors that they would come in and and, uh, close up the house if it started raining while you were away from the house. Oh, yeah. And they'd borrow things from each other and return them and sometimes they wouldn't even, we wouldn't even be home and Ms. Barry across the street would come over and help herself to certain cooking supplies mm-hmm. that my mother had We used to, during the summer, we would can goods for winter use and uh, all kinds of vegetables.
0: It sounds to me like you had these really rich experiences with simple things right you know and young people today i mean you're talking about sitting in front of a fireplace watching the sparks fly from the fire and eating sugar cane right and kids it seems like many ways don't ever get to have those experiences because they get focused on things that are more entertaining in their minds or whatever it might be. But in many ways, like you're saying, it seems to take away from their sense of imagination. They're not creative. Right. They let other people be creative for them, and that can, I think, make things more d- difficult and not as um, fulfilling for young people today. But you maybe be able to share some of that
2: uh, Well, with uh, your story. I or remember to, that... Uh we had two big oak trees out in, beside this the uh, thing that had roots running, and I'd dig up underneath there and <laughs> and make, uh, I had a block of wood, a couple of blocks of wood that, they were the finest little cars you ever saw, <laughs> you know, in my imagination. But as far as, nowadays, they go to the shop and get a get a car that my imagination would have visualized out of that yeah. block of wood
1: yeah <laughs> you, you could make any car out of that block of wood they have to go buy a new car to get the next car right, <laughs> right. Uh,
2: they got different sizes yeah. different uh, yeah.
1: i i wanted to ask you tip um, you know as we kind of you know maybe Conclude the early part of your childhood, and then maybe we can move into a little later in life. But what are what are some uh, memories that are some yeah some memories of lessons you learned as a younger child? You know, are there are there any things um, that you remember your parents saying, or maybe a teacher, or like what are what are some of those early words or phrases that stand out to you that helped shape you into the man you became?
2: Well, I remember when. I was going with my dad, he went hunting, and he took me with him. And we started to, <clears throat> boys used, I used to be considered as living in the country <laughs> from the boys in, that I went to school with in Paducah. And uh, I went to Lone Oak High School for the first four years, and then I transferred to the uh, St. Mary's Academy Mm -hmm. so I could make my first communion. No, that was St. John's I went to to make my first communion, then I transferred into St. Mary's Academy later. But... uh, Remember these memories of uh, how, if a host was dropped during the time of people going to communion, they would put a uh, what's the a, a
0: purificator or
2: a a cloth, the cloth that goes over the chalice. That, yeah. that they would put down there, and nobody would go in that vicinity whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, they just reach out and pick up the hosts, and go on with everything, but they, they would uh, take holy water and wash that whole area down wow. with holy water after mass was over. And these are the kind of things that ceremoniously I still think that we're better off by.
1: So you, so, you know, I asked you about lessons. So it sounds like there was a lesson there of, of reverence. Deep right. reverence. Uh, and, the reverence, they, a way of they doing seem
2: things. to hold things more in reverence when what it was, what I, it is now.
1: I noticed that in my kids, so I've, I've, four that are six four two and a baby uh and so they're all you know they're all toddlers and whatnot but but in the bigger ones you know they we have so many things that you know there's there's this throwaway mentality of oh well i'll just get a new toy i'll just get you know right i think that kids who were three four five six years old in your day um they had a much better understanding of what a treasure it was to possess something and to right. own they enjoyed,
2: something. Right. They enjoyed the item itself more so than turning it up and throwing it away. Right.
1: Yeah, because I mean, if you did that, you weren't going to have another one. right? <laughs> you, 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 and you, and on. to
0: me, that speaks to the reverence people would have shown the host during Mass. Because right. when you don't have a lot of possessions and things, and you do show more respect for what you do have, it sounds to me like that carries over into our reverence for God it as does. well. Whereas today, a lot of young people seem to have a lot of things. And yet they don't have this reverence or understanding.
2: That's what I was trying to God. say, and I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't voice it the way you did. No, but,
0: but well, that's why we were talking. That's the was, discussion. That's how it it's works. Really, it's really uh, uh, wow.
2: Even neighbors had more respect. For neighbors than they do nowadays yeah i mean how many and people that, even know
0: their neighbors today
2: <laughs> well i know the ones on the one side of me and the other side of me i used to know the ones across the street but they sold their house and moved so i don't know who's moved <laughs> in there now so yeah, it's harder that's, that's about it just the two there yeah, that's something and i'm not really to. close to them
1: mm-hmm. It's something we've talked about on this show before is, right. is sort of the breakdown of the neighborhoods and of the of the communities that you know now it's people are more isolated
2: and they're uh they're not only isolated but in some cases they seem to think that the neighbors are out to get them mm. I mean you know like we had a Representative that because they blew leaves on the other guy's lawn, they got in a fight and then he got uh, ribs that were broken. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know,
0: it's sad.
2: Those are the kind of things that come from people not knowing anybody. Mm -hmm. They're isolated and they don't. No. yeah
1: any other lessons uh, from childhood that come to mind anything I- I'm thinking especially of maybe things that your mom told you uh, about how to live life or how to treat people or- well
2: my mom always uh, if she couldn't get something for us children then she wouldn't want it at all I mean, that's the way it was in those days. You, if you didn't, you loved each other so much that you showed it by sometimes not accepting things that people would offer because they didn't offer enough. I mean, they they didn't have enough to offer to... Uh, cover the whole uh, children and and parents alike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they did, uh, my mom looked out for us, you might say, that uh, if she couldn't have enough of it to give it to us, then she didn't want it either. So that way she didn't have to.
0: It's a lot of sacrifice.
2: Have to break down and say, "Well, I don't. Who am I going to give this to?
1: (coughs) Can't give it to all three
2: children. Wow. Then she didn't want it.
1: Who's the first president you remember, Tip?
2: Well, I wasn't very political, so I didn't. I guess Roosevelt was about the best one that I'd." You know, I started noticing politics, I guess, around that time when Roosevelt was in office. He did a lot of good. Uh,
1: he was there for a while. Yes, yeah, do you, he was. Do you remember what year he was elected? I, I don't know that off the top of my head. I don't either. I think <laughs> it was in the ni- early 1930s. Okay, yeah, that's... Kind of the time frame, right? Quite a while. So you were maybe nine, ten years old, maybe something like that. I'm, I'm trying. I'm thinking. You know, did you guys have a radio when you were when you were a kid?
2: <laughs> and not at first, but we got one later on. You got one. It was an Edgewater Kent. I remember that, and it had a metal. Uh, it was a cabinet size that sat on the floor. <coughs> uh, my dad really liked to listen to Little Thomas, and he was a, a newsman that came on, and nobody moved. While I remember one time, it was. Uh, the <coughs> coal stove, you know, we had had a shaker on it. You you shake the ashes down, and so that the fire could have room to blaze up and mm-hmm. be warm inside the house. And my dad was gonna listen to one of the uh, Joe Louis fights, and <laughs> My mom asked him to shake the, the <laughs> stove down and he got down to shake it and he shook the, the burnout coal sound and he got back in his chair and they said, the fight is over, the fight is <laughs>
1: over. Because oh, <no. laughs> Joe Lewis
2: had hit him with one punch and went down. Wow. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Now, you had also, I, I had uh, I'd heard you tell me this once before about uh, getting a driver's license, but you had <coughs> something before your driver's license, right? I had my
2: pilot, uh, student pilot license. Uh, when I first went up in an airplane, I was learning to fly myself. And the instructor sat in the front seat. I sat right behind him. He was in a piper cub. And uh, uh, we hardly got off the ground. And he says, uh, "We ha- he had a like a funnel stuck into a pipe. And then I had earphones that came off of that thing that I put on. And he said, uh, take over the controls. And I thought, well, I'm hearing things. <laughs> I didn't think that. I mean, he turned the plane over to me and we're only maybe a hundred foot off the ground. Oh, wow. And uh,
1: how, how old were you at this time?
2: Uh let's see I was must have been a freshman in high school
0: 14 <laughs> 14 years old. <coughs> so, so you had a pilot's license before a driver's license right at 14 years well, old Well, I didn't
2: have a uh, student
0: pilot, right?
2: Yes, I didn't have a <laughs> uh, driver's license until after the war. Wow so. This was before the war, so. Uh, oh, who,
1: who had the connection to a plane? Was this a family friend, or how did No,
2: you... I rented a plane. <laughs> the instructions, you know, considered that you had to have a plane to fly, so you're. Uh, when he, he said, and I thought it was imagination. And then he said it again, take over the controls, and I thought, no, nah, it can't be. And then he turns and he says, what's the matter, you deaf? <laughs> <laughs> so I took over the uh, the stick, and he said, pull back on it. And I pulled back on it, and we went up. At a steeper angle than we had been, uh-huh. gaining height and altitude. And uh, then he says, Push forward on it. So I push forward on it, and, and he grabs it. <laughs> not that much. <laughs> <laughs> he grabs it, not so hard. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh so how did, we went on.
1: How did you have the money to rent a plane?
2: My mother used to take in washings, and I used to sell tickets on weekends for other people that wanted to fly across the city. They had
1: so you worked at almost like an airport, Uh, right?
2: I worked at the airport. Okay, all right. There's the connection. One of the other (laughs) I always wondered. One of the other jobs that I did was that. When they have nuts on a plane, or at that time they did, I guess they still have them. Maybe they have something else now. But they used to put a wire through the nuts so they couldn't vibrate loose. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, And then they they tie the, tie the wires through them so that they came there. And I used to do that because they didn't want to have the
0: plane come apart. <laughs>
2: well, they didn't want to have the machinists to work on it. Yeah. I mean I could do it and still make the machinists could work on other things. So
0: cool. So there's a this there's a connection here between the the radio that you had, not necessarily as a kid, but just the fact of radio communication in general and Flying that I think will um, well nowadays, connect to your time in the war. Nowadays, I went.
2: I went on a flight uh, last uh, about three weeks ago, and really, uh,
0: you weren't flying this time, right?
2: No, I was. A, uh, I was. They offered me to, but (laughs) I had a... uh...
0: You have a picture of it, I guess?
2: Yeah, I got some pictures uh, made up (laughs) in the air. Well, we
0: might... uh... Conclude this segment right yeah. now and pause so we can maybe find uh, the, those pictures of you flying, and yep. then we'll also get into more of Tip's life uh, after this break. We'll uh, we'll be right back on Spirit and Spire. Family Renewal Project is our local Theology of the Body apostolate in service to the Archdiocese of Louisville. They are having a crash course on Theology of the Body on February 3rd and 4th at St. Margaret Mary Catholic Church. This is an incredible opportunity to begin exploring God's master plan for each one of us. Theology of the Body is indeed the answer that we have so desperately needed to this current culture of chaos and confusion. To learn more or to register, go to bit.ly slash TLB1 CC 0223. Or to see the calendar, go to familyrenewalproject.com slash events welcome back everyone to spirit inspire we've been talking to a great uh, great man who's uh, I've known for many years mr. Oliver Tipodeau, tip for short and uh, with me is my uh, good friend and former co-host but he's back for a special appearance Brian Kane yes indeed and uh, we've been talking to tip about his uh, his early days his childhood and and what that was like growing up from uh, Macomb Mississippi to Paducah uh, and getting from there uh, First off, he had a pilot's license before a driver's
1: license, right? A student pilot. We just got to see some pictures of the, the most recent flight two weeks ago. Right. He, uh, he was so. on a
0: plane two weeks ago, and we got to see some pretty <laughs> awesome pictures of that. So, yeah. But uh, I figured I'd pass it over to Brian, and, and he's going to ask a few questions for Tip about uh, the days from childhood onward. So, Thanks,
1: John. All right, Tip. So uh, we've heard now a little bit about growing up outside of Paducah, and... Uh, and, and we heard uh, some stories from high school. And then you were you were starting to tell us that um, it was right after high school that that you got the draft notice. And uh, they wanted, to, wanted you to go for, for World well, War II.
2: During the time that I enlisted, it was voluntary enlistment. Oh, it
1: was? Okay.
2: It wasn't a, a draft notice that I got. Okay. So it was uh, because I volunteered. And you to said go into aviation cadet. Aviation. And I took uh the test in Louisville and passed it and uh I got out of school on a Friday and started uh I went to uh
1: like a recruitment office type thing or
2: I went to uh Camp Atterbury, Indiana, and when they by troop train, I was sent to Kiesler Field, Mississippi, for my basic training. Okay. They said I had to take basic training before I got into the cadet training. Yep. So. Uh,
0: and after cadet training, you went where?
2: Now, after after I had the basic training, then they sent me to uh, Jefferson Barracks, Missouri, which was a <coughs> place where everybody went and they didn't... And then they they said I had to go to a permanent place before I would apply for aviation cadet. So I went to... Uh, they sent me to uh, Madison, Wisconsin okay. and talked me into taking a radio operator mechanic school, <clears throat> which in case I got shot down and would be also be a part of the cadet training, which would ease the amount of knowledge I had to gain when I— took the cadet training.
1: Now at that time...
2: So then I was sent, before I finished the course, I was sent overseas. Oh, wow. Went over on the Queen Elizabeth, which had 16, I think it was 16 or 14 bunk beds in a stateroom. And then... uh,
1: So this is, uh, so the Queen Elizabeth, for some some context. Okay, so you, wait, can I just get context here? So you were in a a radio training course, right?
2: Right. Radio
1: then, and coincide with his aviation cadet training. Right, so you're thinking you're going to be an aviation cadet, but all of a sudden they're like, hey, we need you, what, on the on the front lines? Are you going in as infantry? No,
2: uh, they... they sent me over to a... Uh... Base Air Depot (coughs) in Manchester.
1: Okay.
2: It was actually in Warrington, Warrington, England, and we docked it uh, in Scotland. Okay. Greenwich, Scotland. And, uh, Then I applied again for Aviation Cadet and was supposed to come back to the States on a Monday. And on a Friday, there was a directive came through that said uh, too many were using Aviation Cadet to get back to the States. Uh So they said nobody else would come back from Overseas, for that, so. And that you're made, about
1: 19 at this time.
2: You think? That made made me mad. So I went yeah. down and I knew I could fly the uh, smaller planes that were used for the uh, as a spotter for aircraft for. Uh, Oh, it was a term, was.
1: For some of the bigger planes, like the bombers, or?
2: No, they're, they're uh, small planes that are used for.
1: Like fighters?
2: No, hmm. they're used to tell the, they the, the, the The section that uses uh, they shoot the bomb out and it explodes and hits the and then they have spotters in the air that tell them for the adjustments to make. I gotcha. So so so
1: these are artillery strikes,
2: right? Artillery. That's what it was. Okay. So 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 and this is
1: land artillery. Right. So the planes are flying, and they're they're looking for targets. And the artillery shoots something. The planes watch where it goes. Right. And then they can say, "Okay, 10, just, de- ten degrees north or whatever." Right. They're, they're yeah. just their wow,
2: their aim. So uh, they asked me if I'd had any artillery training, and I said no, but I can learn. And they said we'd rather teach them to take off because they don't come back so I volunteered for the infantry then. Hmm. And then I went to, to uh, Swindon, England for my advanced basic training, infantry training, and from there on I went to uh,
1: so pause there well, at Advanced Basic. So this is, so the obviously the Allies are working together. Who's running the Advanced Basic training? Is this an American run operation, or are you are are they working with the Brits to um, to train everybody? Like are the people you're with at Advanced Basic are those all Americans, or is it a lot people from different countries?
0: I never knew. Okay. My goodness.
2: Always busy. <laughs> oh yeah, you were caught up
0: in all of it, right? My goodness, there was a lot of historical perspective that we might have on it, but you lived right through it. And it seems to me like when you found out that the aviation cadets were being trained to take off but not to land because they didn't expect them to come back. Well, that, that-
2: wasn't that wasn't the basic training. That was, that wasn't cadets. Oh, was, not the cadets, was, but the that actual was the field artillery
0: spotters. Right, right. That, but learning that they weren't coming back right. is why you were like, "Well, I don't want to die. <laughs> I would rather well, join the infantry and have better chances." Would you no, say? No, it,
2: it it just made me mad that I wasn't going to get to be I uh, wasn't going to get to be a aviation, an aviation cadet. So, so they weren't I willing wanted, to train I, you.
1: Well, they, I no, wanted to
2: get guys get went, into the war. No. Guys were
1: using it to get back home. He actually wanted to be an aviation cadet. Everybody else just wanted to get back to the U.S. Wow! So they said no more guys are going home. Gotcha. Okay, so you so you sign up for the infantry, right? And then what happens?
2: Then I uh, after a basic training, I was sent in to the Battle of the Bulge.
0: What was that like?
2: That's the part I didn't want to talk about because it was so humongous. But there was one incident that you might be interested in that uh, while I was there, one of the fellows that I'd been in training with was an atheist and he always was tried me because I was had a strong religious training and I believed in God and he didn't and he was always needle me about it. I couldn't understand how anybody could not believe in God. And uh, when he got half his head blown off, he wanted me to to baptize him. And I said, "You don't have to be. I don't have to pour water over your head because you can be just by desire to wanna be. You can become a." baptized yeah and Baptism he said designed. no that won't do you got to pour the water over so I did I poured the water over and I blessed him and uh gave him what the priest would have given him and baptized him and he died so that's something that you can't Forget. There's no way that I can ever forget it, even though I've tried.
0: What was his name?
2: I don't remember. Truthfully, I don't. I've tried to forget it, but that's one of the horrors of war that I just. want to be part of. But it made me more set in my belief in God that even though he didn't believe in God, when time came he wanted to believe in God. and maybe who knows maybe something i said in arguments with him finally got through to him i don't know it but he wanted to be, be baptized and i did so he was baptized
0: well just maybe tip one day you'll get to meet that man that's the hope right
2: If he made it, yeah.
0: That's right.
2: <laughs> if he didn't make it, I don't want to see him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, right, right. <laughs> right. But, I, uh, <coughs> if, if, if your story's... Uh, if, if, if the timing of your story is true, Tip, it sounds pretty likely that you're going to see him in heaven. It doesn't sound like there was much time after he was baptized.
2: Well, I don't know...
1: Leave it to
0: God.
2: I didn't know enough about his his life other than the fact that he didn't believe in God. Well, so.
0: Tip, think about the good thief on the cross. You know, this, this well, life that maybe, just maybe, you were like Jesus to him in that moment of welcoming him into paradise when he was at his, in his last well, possible what, seconds of life. That's
2: my hope, of course, that... It got him into the threshold, but so I really don't know what.
1: Uh, yeah. So Tip, you know, I know, I know it's hard to talk about um, the war, and you can share anything you want to or don't want to share. But you know, as we talked about at the beginning, um, you know, there's there's a lot of young people out there that that don't feel connected to their history and that don't understand. The battles that have been won, and that don't understand what it's actually like to be on a battlefield, and not just on a battlefield in a video game. And so, when when you share those things, you are you're making a sacrifice, you know, by by going back there and the and and reliving that suffering, which is what you're doing. You're also enabling the young people watching to To have a lens into that, and to and to say, oh, okay, maybe I understand on a different level than I did before. Are there so maybe you could talk about lessons you learned from being in the infantry in World War II, or maybe you could talk about, um, you know, what 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 did we win in world? What does humanity? What what do we win in war, and what do we lose in war?
2: We lost a lot of bodies. We lost a lot of uh, a lot of things that after the war I was sent to a to a place in uh, Lundford, Germany and we had a uh, enemy stockade there, and they would all, all of the prisoners would try to sell different things to Different things to the soldiers that were guarding them, and well, I'd rather not tell.
1: That's fair.
0: That is fair. Um, Tip, you had mentioned to me before, you know, some. Tough experiences, you know, being not just in the Battle of Bulge, but, you know, these moments of intense suffering that, you know, that in many cases, not perhaps just you, but many soldiers who went through those things because of the chaos of what war is many records are lost or confused or all kinds of things. Like my, uh, I have a cousin who's uh, around your age, and he, uh, he was in the war, but they kept transferring him from battalion to battalion. Um, and it turns out that on his birth certificate, his dad, had <coughs> named, his dad had named him something that his mom didn't want him to be named. So, but he never knew that, so he would always go by Ralph Martin but somebody else would always, uh, so they kept transferring him, and because of that, he didn't end up going to war at all. So he somehow survived it all, but his records were all confused and lost in different ways, and I feel like that's perhaps the case for some people, and what you had shared with me is, you know, being in the midst of something. My records
2: were lost, and I had to stay in the service over a month till they found my records so I could be discharged. I couldn't be discharged without having the Golden Goose given to me. And uh, just the one impression I want everybody to know that war is not like it's in the movies. It's. It may be for some people, I guess, maybe, but not for me. I just don't like what happened in the war.
1: Tell us more about what you mean, Tip. Why? Why is it not like it? It is in the movies. It's not. Maybe you mean it's not glamorous, or it's not right.
2: They glamorize it and uh, make it look like uh, it's all. According to the character, you know that that they do the the great things. Everybody don't do great things in the war. There's very few of them, in fact, that do the the. Uh, brave things that and you sometimes don't feel like that you wanna be a part of the the misery then that goes with some of the ones that don't don't have that type of personality to go forward and uh save a lot of lives and do this and that and the other that uh, just don't don't compensate for that.
1: I would think that there's you know as, you know as a man it's probably the most fear you're ever experiencing and I and I think when, a lot of times when we feel fear we can also feel shame that we feel that fear
2: right I agree that's. Y'all know matter. Y'all should just give this thing myself instead of me.
0: <laughs>
1: oh no! Oh <laughs> well, no! No, but, you're, are... but even tip, even even for you to say yes, that's right. I can't. I can't know if that's right. I was just. I was guessing based on what you're saying.
2: Well, that's.
1: It, you know, I'm hearing you say that there are men there that an are an update from the wave storm tracking are... team has arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Your phone um, says that you could. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing you, you know, talk about that, that men do things in war that aren't heroic and, and we don't necessarily, and, and I know a lot of that I'm sure is, is motivated from that fear, from that self-preservation. And then you feel ashamed, you know, as something I'm thinking about is, um, I forget what the name of it is, but sometimes when someone's house burns down, the, the parents are outside and their kids are in the house and they can't force themselves into the fire because they're so paralyzed by fear that right. they can't actually get in. To, even if they could save their kids, they can't make themselves do it. And I can't imagine what the weight would be after that, right? The shame, the guilt, the, the reliving, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm sure it's a similar effect that there are there are probably opportunities that that yeah, it's kind of
2: like kind of like uh, you've heard of these incidents that happen when the parent thinks that the other parent parent was taking care of the child and the child got in the way of a car and got backed over and killed and. Neither one really, each one of them thought that the other one was taking care of the child and they weren't careful enough to locate it before before the child got in front of the car, so.
0: I can't imagine those types of things.
2: That could be just, usually they break up after that, so. Cause they blame the other person, I guess, or they don't. Well, anyway.
0: You know, Tip, you had said these tragedies, this kind of suffering, especially during the war, is oftentimes over glamorized, you know? right? And um, the, and it's not like the movies. Uh, though I did hear a story, and I don't, I, I, I'm not gonna say it's definitely right or not, but. Uh, uh, it would make sense to me based on the intensity of it but uh in the, there's a famous movie that depicts world war 2 pretty powerfully and that's called Saving Private Ryan you know and it was made back in the late ninety nineteen nineties, 1990s and um it was all about these this team of men going in to the behind enemy lines to save a man whose other three brothers had died in the field of in the battle and um there's this opening scene of this movie is the beginning the the moment the men stormed to the beaches of normandy and everything that took place there and uh, apparently some of the men who lived through normandy uh, were there when it first came out in in the movie theaters and it was so intense uh, that it, and realistic that the, the men who had gone through it left the theater during that opening scene because it brought back a lot of those memories and and uh, the PTSD was pretty intense. That that uh, and I remember seeing that scene myself and that just a lot of that uh, the carnage, you know, the chaos that on a movie screen. For a lot of young people, even or video games, like we said, that seems to be. Well, I'm on the I'm on the other side of the screen. I'm not in danger. Right. I can watch other people suffering, but I'm not. I'm not affected by that, you know. But to live through that, I feel is a little bit different.
2: <laughs> it is, I guarantee you. They're following primarily one man or a group of men, and it glamorizes the fact that they do the the right thing and are brave enough to go, but there's others that are not brave enough or don't have the same personality to realize what they could do, you know. So it's it's one of these forms that, like, I've had uh, friends in the service that they know exactly where everything. They did where they were, where they, every little incident, they knew where they were all during the war. I never knew that. I mean, I just didn't, didn't follow it that closely because I was there. I mean, it was, he just.
0: Focused on the task at hand what you had to do to get through each day. Hmm. Well, I think at this moment, maybe we will take a quick pause and uh, take a uh, moment to let our audience kind of debrief and and (coughs) we'll be back in a short while on Spirit Inspire as we continue our story in time with Oliver Tipodeau. Hey everyone, another sponsor for today's episode is the Cathedral of the Assumption in the heart of downtown Louisville, Kentucky. It is the spiritual center of parish and family life and is a historic treasure for the Catholic Church in America. Take a tour or consider visiting for Mass. Check them out at cathedraloftheassumption.org. Welcome back to Spirit Inspire, everyone. We've been interviewing our good friend, Mr. Oliver Tipido. Uh, Tip? He has been a, a, a great, a great friend for many years, and he uh, he was in World War II, and so we've been talking a lot about some of that experience. You know, after his childhood and gra- graduation from high school, entering the war and wanting to do aviation, but uh, eventually uh, moving toward the infantry and. Uh, facing the experiences in the Battle of the Bulge—that's what we talked about in our last segment—and and, and uh, you'd even mentioned to me at different times uh, that you had been a prisoner of war, you know. And uh, while those were uh, maybe short stints, I mean, there's still right. some some level of wow that uh, that you had. I mean, the very fact that you you can say that is powerful and difficult and um, amazing for many people who have no concept or no experience or, uh, or any, any feeling like that would ever happen in their own lifetime. You know, there are many people today, young people, who are so detached from anything like that, that to even hear that to them might grip their attention might say wow who is this guy like how can i get to know him maybe he has something to teach me uh even if it may have seemed insignificant uh living through it at the time there's something uh, powerful to be said and uh, i just first off i just thank you tip for your service but also your life You know, not just the short time you were in the war and all the difficult suffering, but even the aftermath, having to live with it. You know, that is a sacrifice in and of itself. Uh, And not knowing necessarily what was going on at the time because of all the intensity of what you were experiencing, it shows to me your character because of what you did when you came home and the stability and commitment... And faith you showed in your life, after that. So I, I thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, with that, I mean, do you have anything uh, from the war onward um, that you would like to to share or? Um, uh, about life after the war or, or as you, you left? Meet, or... How'd you
1: meet your wife? Too? Yeah.
0: Simple things like that. Uh,
2: my wife was a friend of my daughter, my sister. They worked at uh, Seagram's Distillery, <coughs> and I met her through my daughter, through my sister.
1: And, and what what uh, do you remember how you met like um did she set you up on a date or did you meet her at a party do you do you remember?
2: No, she came to visit my sister
1: oh at home at so home. you moved did you move move back in with your parents after the war? Well, yeah, okay. so how old were you when you moved because you you said you were in Germany. Do you remember roughly how old you were when you when you were discharged?
2: It must have been about uh, let's see, twenty twenty one or
1: twenty-two. Okay. So you moved back in with your parents then. And did you did you get a job right away or was that sort of a time of well, rest and recuperation?
2: By the time I got back from the war, they had uh running water inside. <laughs> And we didn't, when, when I went into the service, we were using a well and a cistern. And the, the well was used for drinking and utilizing for, but the cistern was used for cleaning clothes and taking baths. Yep. Uh, if you take a bath During that time, uh, everybody took a bath on Saturdays. That was the way life was at that time.
1: Once a week, (laughs) whether you needed it or not. Right. Right.
2: (laughs) Well, there's a lot to be said for that that maybe that would cut down a lot of... uh, cancer that people get nowadays because they do take showers every day and maybe you're
0: right they're not as exposed and, to uh, the natural they're world. not
2: exposed to some of these things that are in the water
0: Yeah, you just got to build up your immunity right
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so tip uh so, I worked so you, you we, yeah we want to hear about meeting your wife
2: well, it wasn't any big deal, I mean.
0: <laughs> well, how'd you well, ask her out on a date? Like, what did you do? <laughs> a lot of guys don't know how to ask girls
1: on dates at all today. How did you do it? Was it love at first sight, or did you have to woo her? What? Uh...
2: No, we used to... Uh, I came to Louisville, and she lived in Louisville. And I used to go over to their place over on... Uh, Where she lived, Philip Lane over on Philip Lane. The, they had they had a house there, and I used uh, I went to U and while I was going to U i I'd go over and spend evenings over there.
1: So, who had the house? Is this your sister?
2: No, this or? is this was her mother and father.
1: What was your wife's name, by the way? Margaret. Margaret. Okay. Okay. So Margaret lived with her parents. And, right. he and, he her and about you'd go visit okay. her okay. <laughs> In the evening, very And I going
2: to U of L. I stayed in a dormitory. That's right. And I graduated in uh, 1951.
0: Is that your ring? Yep. College ring. Look at that. <laughs> That's cool.
1: 1951. Wow. What did you get your degree in?
2: Industrial Management.
1: Okay. Now, uh, okay, so you're going over to her house. Were you guys talking marriage right away?
2: No. I, I graduated in 51, and that's when we got married, in 51.
0: So things moved pretty quick back then.
2: And uh, I got, uh, we lived over on, uh, got an apartment on 3301 Utah Avenue, and then about, we had a son and a daughter, and we moved into the house at 3007 Louise Avenue and been there ever since. (laughs) But uh, I worked at Reynolds Metal Company as production control. Then I went to uh, 14X, down at 28th and the Hill. And then, I went back to 14, plant 14 at 2000 South 9th Street.
0: So you went from 1951, you were working after you graduated. Right. Until you retired. I had 70. a job.
2: I had a job out of GE promised, and then they changed the uh, format of
0: <coughs>
2: when they would want me.
0: Gotcha.
2: Because they moved the one plant, number one plant, became the ones that moved in to number two plant. Yeah. And then three, four, five, but anyway, when, when they uh, told me they wanted me, I didn't have sense enough to tell them, to lie to them and tell them they were gonna pay me a lot more than I was getting paid. And I'd already established myself, and I, got, I liked the work that I was doing, so I stayed at Reynolds. Instead of going out and getting a mm. hard paying job out there, I guess. So, so you,
1: had, you had two kids, right? Is what you said?
2: Yeah, I had. What? And then we had two more oh, after that. Oh, that's that. right.
1: That's right. Um, what lessons did fatherhood teach you?
2: Oh, I got a lot of lessons from them. I listened to my children. Uh, we had great times. People that don't have children, I think are missing a whole lot. And I I know you can verify that, that they miss a whole lot of learning from the children because the children are so innocent. They, They ask you questions that make you wonder. They make you think about the good and the, the different things that are funny and yet they make you proud of them because they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And they're doing things that that make you wonder uh, more so about What a little bug is thinking or something, you know, in, in their minds are which makes me wonder with all these big planes flying now that are packing tons of materials inside. <coughs> what does a bird think when they see eggs <laughs> coming? <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's a learning experience. You get a lot of different things from children because they're clear thinking. Mm. They're not...
0: Yeah, they're pure of heart. Right. You know, it's like what Jesus tells us, unless you, you know, become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And it feels to me like there's that childlike spirit within you tip you know after all the games of ping pong and wee bowling as I mentioned before um, you still do that
2: well those 50 games were all earned while I was in my
1: 90s (laughs) Uh, that's amazing what what lessons did being a husband teach you what, what oh, did you learn that's from, a good, from your wife? That's a good question.
2: Learn to say yes, dear. <laughs> Whatever you say. Uh, no, that, we never... Uh, my wife was one that I always told my children until I stopped it, that wait till your daddy gets home. (laughs) Well, by the time I got home, they had forgotten all about what it was that she was gonna tell me that. (laughs) So those are the kind of things that you, you punish your child at the time it happens, because you don't read that the child is not going to remember from that the time that they do something that the mother didn't like, and to say wait till your father gets home and I tell him that don't. They, don't, they just don't relate to that because they have to have immediate because they're not tied down to, to where they want to have punishment hanging over their heads all the time
1: yeah, yeah. what um the the sacrifices that are required to um be a husband and a father <coughs> what what do you think about sacrifice and in in the meaning that it can give a man
2: well i think that uh you have to definitely uh realize that you have to be the fourth runner and make sure that you don't spend more than you have to spend. Uh, I hear of these people that owe $15,000 or more. Uh, I've never been in debt, never. My parents when they taught me, they taught me if you can't afford it, you don't need it. God will give you the things that you need, but the things that you want are on your own.
1: Mm. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah, that's beautiful advice. That's pertinent to me. I I uh, struggle to stay focused on a budget and... Um, and uh, you know, so it's it's something that I'm trying to learn right now.
2: Well, there are so many different things that uh, the advancement of uh, science and stuff have allowed. I've got a watch here now that tells me...
1: <laughs> it's a smart watch. When, Pretty cool know, watch.
2: When, when my son, when my grandson gets here... He's gonna set it up for me, but it's it's not set right now.
0: Okay, <laughs> so it's not quite smart yet. <laughs> but it, but it connects to your phone. It
2: connects to the phone with Bluetooth. Bluetooth. Uh, Bluetooth. Bluetooth. Yeah. And it tells you all of the uh, well, you can you can schedule whatever you want to schedule it. Yeah. But it's it tells you. What your heart rate is, and what your whatever you want to, how many steps you take, and how many uh,
1: keeps track of a lot of things.
2: How many breaths you take.
1: Tip. What do you What do you think's the most significant um, technological advancement in your lifetime, or maybe one or two? Oh
2: boy. <laughs> There's a whole lot what of them. What
1: what's changed the world the most, do you think, or changed how people live the most?
2: Uh, I really can't. There's so many different things that advance. I've got a car that that has more significant things on it, and I think that's probably the best solution that we're, we're definitely not doing the best we can do to make life on the planet livable. We're doing things that are contrary to what taking care of the planet means, and doing all these things that one country may be doing one thing, but some other country would be doing something else, and we can't control what other countries do, and sometimes can't even control what we do in our own country.
0: And a lot of it's against God's plan for creation for the world, you know?
2: Well, now they're trying to have trips to the moon and things for.
0: For people to live up there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I some think of that. we
2: ought to send all the prisoners up there.
0: <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> terrible.
2: Let, oh. them, let them fight themselves out.
0: My goodness. Well, there's a. Uh, but
2: anyway. There's one
0: thanks. thing that uh, that I know that you've been committed to throughout your life that I'd, I'd like to mention in our our last segment that we'll make very short. You know, so we'll do a quick pause and then we'll be right back. All right. So everyone, we'll be okay. right back on Spirit Inspire after this. Hey, everyone. Here at Spirit Inspire, we want to serve our community by highlighting God's work in our parishes, schools, and apostolates. We hope to bring renewal and unity between all those in the body of Christ. If you would like a shout out in the next episode of Spirit Inspire, go to spiritinspire.com or email us at spiritinspire at gmail.com. Thanks and God bless. Welcome back everyone to Spirit Inspire. This is our final segment with Mr. Oliver Tipidow. He was in World War II. He's had a pretty powerful story and... And uh, amazing life filled with lots of adventure. And uh, he's also been a hardworking man who's loved his family and been very committed to them throughout his life. He's 98 and a half years old and he's gotten fifty-three hundred uh, score Wii bowling games. And he beats <laughs> me in ping pong uh, anytime I've played him. So, um, but the, I think one of the most powerful things that I've gotten a no tip about is his commitment to uh, life and family and the importance of being in favor of life, you know, especially when it comes to the most innocent uh, people in the world—young people, babies, even—and so, Tip, would you do you have any words of wisdom to share with young people, young families, when it comes to having children and being open to life?
2: Well, they say that uh, that they should take in consideration. the chance of rape or things of that nature. Uh, God did not say that we compensate for different things. He said, thou shalt not kill. And that doesn't mean anything. Thou shalt not kill a person. This outfit that uh, deals with uh, abortion all they do is kill, and regardless, that should not take place. They should be prosecuted for killing. Yeah. In my opinion, and
0: well, how can we encourage young people uh, to, you know, who are in difficult situations like that to, to trust God through, you know, unexpected. Pregnancies or, uh, well, or anything that,
2: like that. Well, I think that uh, if a child is unwanted, the child, the the mother should have the child and put it up for adoption. Mm-hmm. I think that regardless of what age restrictions or whatnot, that it's a hard hard question to answer, but actually I think that the time for for a woman to be in charge of her body is in the time of inceptions and not the time that the child is born. Yeah. But also but I feel like that so the mother, uh, these people that say that they can't adopt a child and can't get it, can't, if they're not their own blood relative, that I deny that they can't find in their heart. That if they live with that child for a, a month at least, they will fall in love with that child, yeah. and that child will always be in love with them because they took care of them when they were small.
0: Yeah. yeah. Where Where do you find hope from here to for the for the world into the future, <coughs> future generations? as we conclude our time together
2: well i've always said that the type war we have now is not the type we fought for but i guess there's compensations that more than someone that has made more in their life than I have, I guess could could really appreciate more so than what I have to offer. But I've enjoyed the, the life I've had. I just still have times when I'd like to be able to I contribute to different things like the daV and the Memphis uh, what is uh the, the one that is in Memphis that uh,
1: uh, I'm not sure this is a like a non-profit that you want like so to would like to support. They don't
2: or? they don't charge anything for their hospital in in Memphis. Uh no, I can't think of the sure. the name of it right now.
1: But those are those are places that kind of give you hope. Right. People doing good.
2: I think that if we had, there's a lot of people that don't get credit for for things that they, they offer. And, and in some cases they're scams and they're scams that I've had any number of scams and thank goodness they're kind of forewarned me now on the telephone <laughs> that it can be a scam and I don't answer.
1: That's right, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, there's, you gotta be wary, but there are good people in the world. Well, Tip, we think you're one of them and we're what's so- What's uh, the,
2: Danny Thomas's place in Memphis?
0: I'm not sure (laughs) we'll look it up. Yeah. We'll We'll look look it up on the phone and we'll figure it out. Yeah. But with that, uh, tip, it, it really has been a, a great joy to be with you and, and everyone here who has been able to listen to your story, I know will have been inspired and drawn into who you are and what you've done to, to, you know, give them a chance to live this, you know, life of freedom and love that, you know, we're all trying to find, but, uh, but uh, I think I hope it helps I think somebody. I, I know it does. I know it will. You know, and and that's that's the hope, and we pray for, we pray for young people, we pray for young families, and and I know that if you know if there's any hope, it's that your your desire is to help other people, and I think your story does that, very well. Thank Most you. Definitely. So, all right, with that, everyone, I thank you all for being with us. Uh, it's been a great gift. And uh, we're praying for you, and and we know that it's been a, a very uh, intense experience, um, but also a very hopeful and uh, hopefully joyful, you know, time with Mr. Oliver Tippadoe, my good friend Tip. And uh, with that, everyone, we'll be praying for you, and we will see you next week on another episode of Spirit and Spire. God bless you.
2: Thank you. Lord,